0: All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Uh, And uh, why don't you follow along with me as I read. Again, that's Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God... Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This great, great verses. Uh, It's interesting that uh, in these newer versions, the newer translations, in the old King James versions, it, it, it was, I go to prepare a mansion for you. Um, and, and many of us have had delusions of like 30,000 square foot mansions. And now, now with the newer translations, it's, uh, I go to prepare a, a, a room. And so I don't know if, if Jesus has downsized all right, what the story is. But we did go from mansions to room. But all I would say is it's got to be a pretty, pretty nice, pretty nice room. Um, Some years ago, I'm just going to give you an interesting story. You all know Alex Smith, uh, Alex Anderson, rather. Alex Anderson, um, who is now in London. But Alex said to me that he had a vision, a dream one day, that uh, uh, Ed Smith, Alex, and I were all in heaven together And you remember Ed Smith. Ed Smith was a bit of is a bit of a curmudgeon, and Alex Smith never shuts up. Alex Anderson never shuts up. Talks constantly. And he said he had a a a dream that we three of us were in heaven, and that uh, each of us had three rooms. Alex was on one end of the room, one side. Ed Smith was on the other, and I was in the middle. And this was Alex Anderson's vision of of heaven. And I said to Alex, all I said was this. I made a knocking sound as if I were knocking on a door. Uh, Jesus, can I speak to you for a moment? (laughs) Yeah. So some people's vision of heaven does not comport with other people's (laughs) visions of heaven. All right? But I trust in God that it will be a spectacular place. And so these are these are great verses. And you have to understand that Jesus is speaking to the disciples at the pinnacle of persecution, at the pinnacle of despair, at the pinnacle of suffering, at the pinnacle of worry. They know what's gonna happen. They know Jesus is about to be arrested and most likely will be killed. And here it is, all of this coming together, and they're despairing and suffering. And Jesus says, basically, fear not. You trust in God, trust also in me. And these words resonate 2,000 years later to me, how Jesus speaks to us in the time of great trouble, to trouble our heart, you know, to calm our troubled hearts. And so here's the, the first part of this lesson. What do we do as Christians? As we face difficult times, and let me make that very clear to you. You will hear the theology preached from time to time uh, on television. Health, wealth, and prosperity, right? You've heard it. You know, you go and you become a Christian, and you're going to have the biggest car, the biggest house. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to have all kinds of affluence. You're going to have a big house. You're going to be surrounded by all these great things in this world. Uh, and all you have to do is send 20 bucks to me, you know, once a month. I'll send you back a prayer handkerchief. You put it on your dashboard, and you're in good shape. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that supports this. Nothing. In fact, when you study the New Testament and you look at Jesus, you will see that Jesus had a difficult life, Jesus was persecuted, and Jesus suffered at times from mental anguish we're going to talk about that and then you look at the the apostles you look at them all 11 of them will die all 11 of them will be executed early the only one really who will not will be john the apostle who writes the the gospel of john but they tried to kill him Uh, we know from contemporary reports that polycarp his disciple tells us that john was placed into a cauldron of boiling oil all right placed into a cauldron of boiling oil. This comes directly from Polycarp, uh, his disciple, who lived about 50 years after uh, John. And after being placed in the cauldron of boiling oil uh, and, and the heat being so high that the curtains around the cauldron went up in flames, just to get this, he basically was sitting there and paddling as if it were a hot tub. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, the, the Roman authorities are there watching this, and so finally they pull him out. They pull him out, and, and so the uh, Roman governor, or Caesar, whoever was in charge at that point, wanted to execute him. Uh, and he was told that in, under Roman law, you could only be given a capital punishment once. And so that's how he got to Patmos, the Isle of Patmos. How do you like that, how God works? That he takes this man... And brings him to the Isle of Patmos. By the way, we have chairs up here. Okay? Come on up. There are open chairs here. Uh, and, and Linda. And, and so here there he is, placed into isolation uh, because God spared him from a death of a, a boiling oil. For what purpose? To write the book of Revelation. Alright? You see how God works? You see how God works? Put into isolation. There, where he would not in any way have any human contact, contact, and God speaks to him through the Spirit, and he writes the book of Revelation. And so none of them, none of them had uh, pleasing earthly lives. They all suffered. They all were in pain, all executed at some point. And so you understand this, and you see it, so don't buy this health, wealth, and prosperity. But here's the thing. God promises to be with you. All right? Yes, we are all going to die. I'm going to give you the bad news right now. All right? I know some of you, especially those of us who live in Naples, are convinced somehow that we'll hold on to the end. All right? We have found the Garden of Eden. We don't intend to leave. You're going to leave. Let me break it to you now. You will die. But here's the thing. The Lord will be with you right to the end. He'll be there with you. He'll hold your hand. He'll take you. He'll take that next step from here to there. He will be with you. Um, and that's the important and he, important part. And he will be with you even as you go through persecutions and difficult times and, and, and suffering. God will not abandon you. That's, that's his, his promise to you. And so here's the thing. Jesus is saying to you, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Just as you think of God and you have faith in God, have faith in Jesus. And how do we do this? We do this with our mind keeping our mind on God, keeping our mind on Jesus with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't just say with your mind. I didn't just say the power of positive thinking because the power of the positive thinking without the enabling power of the Holy Spirit is not very positive. All right, you got that? The power of positive thinking without the enabling power of the Holy Spirit is not very positive. It is doomed to failure. But the power of the mind, focusing on God, focusing on the cross, focusing on who Jesus is, as you do this in your prayer life, in your communion life, being with Jesus, constantly having that walk, and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, you will live a life that's so beautiful that's so great that people will be drawn to you. Even when you suffer, even when you go through sickness, even when you go through loss, and you lose people that mean so much to you, God will be with you. So you live in this world, and in this world, Jesus is recognizing that you are surrounded by evil and surrounded by trouble. And so Jesus is calling us to a different kind of life. Jesus is calling you out and saying to you, I don't want you to act the way people in the world act when they are surrounded by evil and they are surrounded by trouble. That's the first part of this lesson. Jesus doesn't want us to act the way people in the world act. You know, you know, I mean you see it. You see when people are suffering and people are sick and you see how their world collapses. They can't even face the day. I mean, I I told you that when I make hospital visits and I go into into, uh, hospital rooms where Christians are there, even when they're dying, there's just such a glow that God is with them, that you feel the peace. And yet you look in the next room or the next bed often, in the next bed, and you see despair. You see despair when people don't have Jesus. And that's the difference. God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live with the, with, the, with the knowledge that he's waiting for you. He's there for you while you're here. And he's play, uh, preparing a place personally for you. Not generically, but personally. He sees you. He knows you. He's waiting there for you. And so that's the great promise. You see this also when you go to funerals. You know that when you go to a funeral of a Christian, yes, yes, You see people grieving, certainly so, but you don't see overwhelming despair. You know, I remember in in New Jersey as a kid going to some funerals from people that we would know and, and you would see people almost throwing themselves into the caskets. You've seen those movies, haven't you? Right? You've seen those movies. People just, you know, just bereft of grief. They can't take the next breath. It's like everything that they've lived for is over. Because of the loss of someone, yet you see a funeral uh, for a Christian. You see them, and I've been through many of them down here, and it's a whole different thing. It's a celebration of life. Isn't that what it is? A celebration of life that Jesus Christ has given you. That's what we do. We celebrate the life that Christ has given us. What a difference. Look, don't look at me like, what is he, had a lobotomy? You know, how can he talk like this? Really, you talk like this when you understand the overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit uh, who will will really be with you and bathe you and cover you and take the pain away from you. This is why we serve Christ. And God wants us to be this kind of poster in the world. We are to be a a source of strength to others. That's what Jesus wants. So that when the world suffers, when the world is in pain, Christ expects us to radiate the life of Jesus. And so the, f- the first of two points here is that first, uh, we will be troubled. Mark it down, all right? Mark it down. You will go through that. You will have difficulty. It's clear from this text. We will be troubled. Uh, and, and we will not have unnatural uh, health, wealth, and prosperity. God will give us what he believes we need to have. He will give us the wealth that God wants us to have, the wealth that will not turn his head. My father, who served the Lord his whole life, uh, was a pastor from the time he was 25 till till the day that he died at 84, said to me, and and really lived a a life of very limited income, and said to me that he believed that God never wanted him to have any money because if he did, he probably wouldn't serve God the way he did. Now, for a guy like that, with that kind of, of character and makeup to make that admission to me tells me a lot about the inherent weakness of the human condition. Because here's the thing. I know uh, all of us in some way are are asking God to pour some greater affluence into our life. You know, God, if I only had a little bigger house, a little bigger house, or if I had more money, God, I would give you not 10%, I'd give you 20%. (laughs) Really, I would do that, God. And I know there are people praying like this, and I'm going to tell you something. Here's what God sees. God sees, well, let me see. All right, if I poured that into Joe's life, where would Joe be? Oh, Joe doesn't come to church anymore. Joe's out on his boat fishing. Joe's on a world tour. Oh, Joe's having a good time. He's really in love with all these things. And God sees this. And so here's the thing. God loves you. You're a child of God. He's not going to put you and give you things that are going to turn your head. So you might as well stop praying for it, all right? Just stop it right now. Forget about the the lottery. Just say, Lord, you give me what you believe you want me to have and conform my will to your will. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. Conform my will to your will and everything, and he will. Because he loves you and he cares about you. We've already covenanted with him. That's the difference. He, you are his. He's got you. He's not going to let you go. Uh, and so here you see, even Jesus was troubled. Look at John 13, verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, why do the scriptures write there, he was troubled? Because Jesus, while he was fully God, in this world he was fully man. He suffered with all of the emotional issues that men and women struggle with. And so Jesus was burdened by the fact that one of the people that was with him for three years would betray him, would sell him out. Uh, and, and so you see this. Jesus is troubled. Jesus is burdened. And we know this when he's out in the, on Gethsemane and he tells the disciples to pray with him, how they drop the ball and they can't pray because they're human beings and the, and the spirit is so heavy as the satanic forces are trying to destroy Jesus right there. And you understand this. And yet Jesus is telling us be not troubled. And troubled in this sense means obsessed. Of course, as a human being, we're going to have momentary despair. And let me differentiate this for you. We're going to have momentary despair. Meaning what? Things are going to come across your life. You're going to have issues. And when it comes across your life, you are going to suffer momentarily with despair. You're gonna feel a sense of of hopelessness when you suffer persecution or you go to the doctor and you get a, a, a diagnosis that's not a good diagnosis. You're going to have despair. But here's what Jesus says, do not be obsessed and overwhelmed by that. What do I mean? Meaning every moment of the day, day and night, you can't stop thinking about it and you're being dragged further down into the dirt and the muck and mire and you are no longer being able to exhibit the love of Jesus Christ to a world. God wants you to say, I understand it. It's not good, but I put my trust in Jesus. All right? That's the lesson here. I put my trust in Jesus. If this is what I'm to go through, God will give me the grace to go through it. He will use this to better me and to have an impact in the world. That's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing to say, but I can tell you that that that's a fact. And so... God wants us to be able to reach out to a lost world and to show them what it means to be a Christian. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verse 15. Actually, we'll start with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. Meaning, you need to have the fully empathetic spirit. When you see someone in the world who is suffering and mourning, you need to mourn with them, to let them know you care for them. That's what God wants you to do. That's the job that that God has given us to do. Our role in the world is to do this. And you see this here uh, in these verses. And so Christians are realists. We're realists. We're realists about life's problems. We're not flakes. We're not monks. We're not ascetics. We live in a real world. Um, And yet we know the power of God to change things. And so that is why when we get a diagnosis, we pray, we ask God, we ask for healing. Because God wants us to do that. Uh, But then we say, in your perfect will. Because we want to conform our will to God's will. We know God can change things. We know God can heal. But it might not be healing at this particular time. That's a fact of of life. And we understand this uh, as Christians. And so these verses disclose five things. Five things. First, we know Jesus We know he is God. He knows about us and our circumstances. He is able to deal with them. That's the first thing this tells us. Jesus knows who we are. He knows our personality. He knows what we're suffering. You need to have a confirmation in your heart that Jesus is able to deal with them. You have every reason to trust Jesus because he came and died for you. As Jesus said in these verses, trust in God, trust also in me. The disciples knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus for three years. They had every reason to trust him. The second reason that Jesus is speaking to us here is that why we should not be troubled is that there is a place prepared individually for you in heaven. Prepared individually for you in heaven. Not generically, not you're going to heaven generically, but Jesus said, I have prepared a place for you. And we're going to talk about this, talk about what it means to go to heaven uh, in this lesson this week and next week as we understand what God is saying. He will gather you up to your people. And we're going to talk about what that means as we look at at some scriptural uh, references to that. And so we know that we will follow Jesus into our heavenly home. That's the guarantee. He has set it here, and you can take it to the bank. Jesus is going ahead of us, and Jesus will hold our hand, and we will be there with Jesus in our individual heavenly home. And so the faithful Christian follows Jesus now in this evil world, knowing that there's suffering and despair and persecution all around, but we give it up to God. We follow Jesus now, and then we know that on our death, at our death, we will follow Jesus into heaven. But here's the key. Even though we live in this world, our citizenship is in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. That's a big deal. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, and I told you this even as we, we uh, agonized over the election, right? How, we, how I said to you all is we were concerned about the election and what, what, what God would do. And, and ultimately, our prayer was, God, your will, your will. But, but my point was, yes, we, we, we honor our country. We honor our country. We live up to the laws. But at the end of the day, our citizenship is on the other side. Okay? I'm a citizen here of the United States. But truly, I'm a citizen of heaven. And my heavenly home takes precedence over my earthly home. And as long as my earthly home, my earthly government does not obliterate my responsibilities to heaven, my earthly home will will prosper. But if it ever gets to the point where my government no longer will support what God wants in my life, then let me tell you something. I'm with them, not with those here. Uh, And that's what God wants us to do. And so you see this in these lessons. And so as our citizenship is in heaven, I want you to read uh, Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Join with, with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Underlying that. But, here's the key verse. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will transform our lowly bodies. So they will be like his glorious body. What a great set of verses. All right. So you live in this world. You're subject to this world. But don't be overwhelmed by this world. Don't be obsessed with affluence and and possessions and accumulating. You know what I mean. Yes, you have to work hard. God gave you gifts and talents. Yes, you honor God by working hard. But you don't become obsessed with the accumulation of wealth. All right? You don't do that. You put it into proper perspective. You do and you work hard because God gave you that job. God gave you those gifts. God gave you that talent. But at the same time, you don't work constantly. You accord a proper amount of time for God, for worship, for study. And so you see it. Why? Because your citizenship is in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's when you recognize you're not gonna be troubled. When you fully come to terms with this and recognize this, this is going to be, Jesus is showing you how you're gonna overwhelm the kind of mental despair and frustration that so many people uh, face. The third reason that Jesus gives us for not being in turmoil is that he was going to prepare a place for this and there is a personal aspect to this. He's personally preparing your place and I love that. I love that line. Jesus knows who you are and he's actually preparing that mansion or that room or that set of rooms personally for you. He's there. Uh, what What a great concept that is, that our God cares that much about us. I mean, that's why we are Christians. What other religion can compare to this, that their God has a personal relationship with us? Really? Honestly? The whole world should be Christians. The problem is we can't get this out to people. And some of them are are enslaved in darkness uh, and satanic forces. But you see how much Jesus loves this as he's preparing that place. And then the fourth and fifth points on this can be taken together, as I say, in point six of the outline. First, we know that Jesus has promised to return for those who are left behind. Further, from that point forward, he will be with him forever. What does this mean? There will come a time that even if we do not joy in Jesus in death, if Jesus returns to this world uh, on the time of the rapture, when that happens, Jesus will take us out of this life. He will take you out of this life. He will just take you right there um, and you will go with him. And even if at that point you have not suffered physical death, God will take you uh, and rapture you together. And so, all of this all of this brings the focus on what Jesus is saying in these verses to heaven. Now, here's an important part of this lesson. Heaven is a discrete place. Let me repeat that. Heaven is a discrete place. It is not a state of mind. Right? It is not a metaphysical experience. Heaven is a real location. Now, many people have great difficulty in contemplating this concept, and they try to create scientific reasons why you couldn't have a heaven, why it doesn't make sense. One of them them that recently came up is uh, a scientist who said he had studied the speed of light and the uh, extent of the universe, and that if Jesus had died somewhere in the year 30 A.D., and traveled at the speed of light for 2,000 years, you got that calculation? (laughs) Your head doesn't explode. That Jesus would still not be at the furthest star of the galaxy. So therefore, there can't be a heaven, because Jesus is still winging his way. (laughs) Now, let me ask you, Do you think our God is consigned to traveling at the speed of light I mean that's so stupid it makes me laugh it makes me laugh Uh, and all I know is that at the moment that you pass instantaneously the next step you will be in heaven How do I know this? I know this from the scripture. I know this when I saw Stephen being stoned. Do you remember that? He looked up as the stones were raining down upon him. And what did he see? He saw heaven open up and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine that he had that vision to be able to see that? What does it mean? It means heaven's an existing place. It may be an alternate universe. I can't explain it. My puny brain can't get around that. And neither can you. And so if you try to sit there and make some kind of ridiculous mathematical calculation, stop it. Stop it. It's stupid. You make yourself look stupid. All right? You really do. And you understand, you understand how great God is. You know what I get out of that scientist's point? I get this. What a great God we have that the universe is so huge that you can travel at the speed of light for 2,000 years and not get to the end of where stars are currently being. All right? Really, somebody once had a very good point saying that that, uh, when the scientists finally climb the Mount Everest of knowledge, just think of this, they climb the Mount Everest of knowledge and get to the top, what are they going to find? They're going to find a group of theologians who were there like 2,000 years ago. You understand? All right, meaning that science only has so much of a window of understanding. God gives us science, all right? But God doesn't depend on science, all right? Let's understand that. God doesn't depend on science. And so heaven is a permanent place. Uh, It is an existing place. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 8, this is how God wants us to think. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Wow. Wow. How's that? He's living in tents. He's a wanderer. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and makes this man the patriarch of the Jewish people. The foundation of the Christian uh, religion. This is the man. And as he's wandering, he's wandering in faith because he trusts in God, knowing that the place ultimately that he's going, and that place is heaven, heaven, that that place will have a foundation built forever by God. And that's what God wants us to know and understand. So, and so even as you are tethered to this place and this is becoming an increase, I don't know about you, but I'm finding it more and more difficult to live in this world. It's hard. it's hard. You can't watch television. You can't read the newspapers. Really. You you, you go and you drive your car. You, you, you're like in a carnival with people cutting you off. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, you can't even go shopping. Is it me or is it... Uh, maybe it's me. Maybe I've lost my mind. But I know that there's, there are other people where are surrounded by evil. That's why I so desperately love Christmas. It's almost like... Once a year, a breath of hope comes into this world, the Christmas carols, a spirit of hope, and you see it, and and it just surrounds you, but you recognize this is a difficult place. It's hard to live, and let me tell you something. I came from a harder place, New Jersey. It's a harder place to live because now there were 20 million people struggling for the same little piece of the pie. At least you come to Naples, and in that sense, most of the people here are no longer struggling for a piece of the pie, all right? But it's still a hard place to live, all right? That's the world, and Jesus knows it. Don't think that Jesus doesn't know it. He knows you, he's with you, but he wants you to concentrate. As great as Naples is, oh, Naples is the best, but put your vision on a greater place a greater place where God is preparing a place for you personally. And you see this. Uh, And so uh, as you see this, Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room. He's giving them strength, telling them to have faith, be able to be strong. Don't despair. Don't give up. Yes, we're going to face some hard times. Yes, it's going to be bad. Yes, I'm going to be crucified. Yes, you're going to see me arrested. Yes, you're going to be dispersed. Yes, some of you are going to betray me. Yes, some of you will not support me and will, will, will uh, find a way not to be there for me, but do not despair. Keep your eye on the cross. Keep your eye on the shores on heaven. Know that there is a place I have prepared for you personally. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the times are, there I will be for you. We're going to close and continue this next week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Lord, I thank you for this promise that even in the most difficult of of situations, Lord, when we go through the darkest days to know that you just stood there in those dark days and said, fear not, believe in me, trust in me. And so, Lord, we do and so we ask you even today to help us in our unbelief, to strengthen our faith, to draw us closer to the cross. And Lord, help us each and every one of us in this class Help us to be able to go into a lost world and show a lost world what it means to be a Christian. Give us that strength, Lord, especially so during this holiday season. Bless our people, protect them, and bring them back next week to continue this study. We put all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.